Hey guys, welcome to Not Just a Hashtag Podcast, presented by Trees of Hope. I'm your host, Nicole Escobar, with my co-hosts, Anissa, Kristen, and Mariah. On this podcast, we will be discussing the epidemic of sexual abuse, its realities, and the unfiltered ways in which it has affected all of our lives. We share our personal stories and how our lives have been restored. While this podcast is for everyone, we do want to let you know that we use several trigger words and this is geared more towards adult audiences. This podcast is for anyone who wants to educate themselves on the statistics behind sexual abuse, signs to look out for, and how to prevent it from happening. So let's get to it. Hey guys, welcome back to Not Just the Hashtag Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole, and I'm here with my three gals, Mariah, Anissa, and Kristen. And we just wanted to say thank you, a huge thank you, to everyone who played a role in listening to the episodes that we posted and giving us amazing feedback. We'd love to share some of our thoughts and feedback on the feedback that we got. It was really encouraging and we honestly are so inspired by every single person who wrote something nice or said something or texted us or even just a simple, you're brave. You know, that was so inspiring and just wanted to thank each and every one of you guys for being a part of our lives, being friends um, and very supportive. We love you so much. So today we're going to share a little bit about our, you know, reflections on our last uh Um, episode and sharing all the things that we've shared and then we want to go into symptoms of sexual abuse so first I'm going to share some of the reactions I got and then you guys I'll let you share so um, I had posted and then my husband went and said you know nice comments like hey check out my wife's podcast and I had a couple of friends listen and they gave great feedback um, but I had one person kind of asked a few questions that I really was shocked that they were asking, but was great for me because it got me thinking about what is really the Not Just Hashtag podcast. So they were asking, who is this podcast for? And my response was, anybody who's been sexually abused. And then I started thinking, well, it's not just for anyone who's been sexually abused, it's for that person. But in addition, it's for anyone who's breathing who knows someone who's been sexually abused or who's a parent, a caregiver that maybe want to use some of this content to protect, to learn different ways that they can protect the children in their life that they love. Um, Additionally, this is for anybody who is mentoring, speaking into someone's life and that may come across somebody who's got symptoms that we're going to talk about and they go, hmm, maybe this person's been sexually abused. So basically what we want to do is make sure that all of our stories um, speak life into anyone who's listening and give hope and give give purpose. And so, yeah, if, if you're alive, this is for you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, then the other question was, um, no, comment. The comment mm. was, well, I don't know anyone who's been sexually abused. And I thought that I was like, oh, oh, I'm, I was like, I wish I lived in that world, but I don't. Like almost everyone I know has been sexually abused. So I was like, cool. But then I started thinking, hmm, maybe they just don't go deep with people. 
And Anissa, what did you say to me? Well, I just think because, and we've already talked about statistics before, but it is really incredibly naive to be under the impression, and I don't mean that maliciously, but just that like you don't know anyone who's been sexually abused because if we're going based off of reported sexual abuse, which is only 12%, and we know that one in four girls and one in six boys will be sexually abused before they turn 18 years old, you know, if you're in a room with 80 people, I'm not a math person, but it's like at least a dozen people in there have been sexually abused, have been sexually harassed, have had sexual assault touch their lives to some capacity. So I said to Nicole, I just think then that means, you know, maybe there's been a little lack of depth to her relationships because I mean, but also it's like, it is, we talk about how you don't go running to people when you've been sexually abused to tell them what's happened to you, but it just means then, okay, she's not having those conversations with her friends about sexual assault or sexual abuse. Yeah. And you know what? I, it also got me thinking that, you know, when we, we live in this, I'm a Christian, we're all Christians here, but we live in this world where we kind of go to church, we do our Bible studies, we do talk about the Lord and we sit in groups, but we may not be like honest and vulnerable in those groups and be like, I'm really hurting because of this that happened to me years ago. So I understand that. I understand that maybe the church isn't the safest place where you want to share certain things, but it should be. And if you're in a small group or you've got friends like and you've been sexually abused, open up about that. And again, we've talked about safe and unsafe people. We want to make sure we're selective of who we share that with because not everyone's safe. But um, if you're if you're somebody who cares, which I know this person who was asking me questions, they like really care about people. And so I was just thinking that she she should be somebody that knows that knows someone who's been sexually abused because she seems and she is safe to me so I said to her you know I well I'm someone now that you know and I said so if you ever come in contact with somebody else like me can you share them share the podcast with them and she was like yeah absolutely but um I'm it just got me really thinking like this is the statistics that you just shared are startling to me they're scary, actually. And they and it, it makes me want to ask that question more, actually. So when we go over the symptoms, if you hear some of these symptoms and you know someone who's got them, and again, you're like, wow, I don't know what some of the causes of these person's problems are, symptoms, maybe ask that simple question like, hey, I'm not trying to say that you fit a certain mold, but have you ever f- been sexually abused? The woman who founded Trees of Hope started her like relationship with me on that question. And I'm so glad that she did because she literally changed the trajectory of my life the day that she was bold enough to ask me that. And I'm I'm grateful that I had, you know, ne- she was a safe person for me. And I was able to tell her in that moment that, yes, I had. And I was willing to walk that journey. But if you're not willing, take your time. If you're not willing to talk about it, if you're not someone who's willing to say that this is me, I've been sexually abused, then you don't have to talk about it. We're not making, we're not saying you have to do this. But what we're saying is we want to see you thrive. And we're hoping that these podcasts bring about that, bring about that hope and, um, or make you start conversations with your friends that you know could be a little bit deeper of some of the things that they're truly struggling with. Yeah, and I think too is like um, 
just like you were saying, Nicole, earlier before we started this, um, just show up, just start, just keep listening because some people will listen to this and they'll say, wait a second, that's sexual abuse. So you may not have told your story because you don't even know that it's sexual abuse. You don't even know that that's maybe why you have a sense of shame in your life for so long that someone, um, maybe not even touched you, but they abused you verbally or exposed something to you. And so you're carrying the shame and disgrace around and you're like, oh yeah, it doesn't really affect me. Um, but when you, when you, when we break it apart, our hope is to show you not just to like bring all this trauma out in your life and you're like, oh, I wish I never heard that. It's so that you can truly maybe for the first time acknowledge the pain of it and the weight of it so that you can move forward and heal. Mm-hmm. So, right. and that when you learn to minimize this, these things in your life, you will minimize other things in your life. And the one thing, you know, I did for sure is I minimized the amount or I minimized that what I had gone through was sexual abuse, which ended up causing me to minimize when a boss sexually harassed me, when someone touched me inappropriately and it bothered me, when a boyfriend wanted to do things sexually that I didn't want to do. It just set me up for minimization throughout my whole life. And I still have to talk myself off out of doing that this very day you know like even just doing these podcasts I'm like do how vulnerable do I really want to be like I I know my mom and dad are probably going to listen and I know that it might hurt them and they may be saddened for me but I'm like should I start calming down this story just because I know that that could happen and my answer is no because I know that there's someone else listening who can find hope in the fact that I'm able to unashamedly share my story and so that's it. Um, but Mariah, I want to start with you. You had some great feedback from friends and just one of the comments that re- I love the most, which was um, that this giving of yourself through these podcasts, through these episodes each time is like an act of worship. And do you want to just share some of that? Yes. I um, I just wanted to thank all my friends out there. Thank you. It's just definitely um, overwhelming the support and just being empowered that this is brave and that, you know, we are allowing ourselves to be exposed, which is very scary. But um, yeah, because when I was saying in the first episode that, you know, it feels like a sacrifice of love because it's not easy to talk about and you're giving of yourself so that someone else can like hopefully have hope and healing and she said you know truthfully actually it's worship and you're offering yourself as a sacrifice of worship to the Lord because you're honoring the one who saw everything and was with you through all of it who pieced you back together and who asked you to be bold for him when it was time and because it was time so that um, you can be fully healed and free um, and still looks at me that and says, I'm proud of you and you are beloved. And I think that it was just, it was just empowering and listening back to the episode and hearing myself tell the story in a way that I don't, I've never heard myself say it was like, okay, this is, this is worth it. And like Nicole said, and we we're just trying to be honest with you guys that healed and more hopeful and more clear and more grounded by um, not minimizing it and not taking responsibility for something is not our fault. But there's still those fears of like, okay, well, what if someone minimizes it? Like, what if, what if my parents listen to it and they feel heartbroken or they blame themselves? Well, that's, you know, something that always is our fear, but 
that's also something that our families have to go down the road eventually to heal and work through it because there's a great loss in that. Um, so yeah, that's, um, you know, constantly getting those comments of like, this is brave. Thank you so much for doing this. Like, thank you for really, truly letting yourself be seen in the places that, you know, could be hidden if you allowed it to. So just really grateful for that. So Anissa, you also had some amazing feedback and that I just truly loved everything that someone wrote. And note, um, if you do listen to the podcast and you get an opportunity to comment on iTunes or anywhere you find the podcast, um, we love hearing the comments. They're so amazing. And we send them to each other and we just really get a get a joy out of reading them. So yeah, actually, the message that got sent to me was a DM on Instagram, and it was from a girl that I spent one year with in high school, and we have a lot of mutual friends, but we haven't kept in contact really at all apart from liking each other's pictures on social media, but she actually sent me the most heartfelt message and has been the hands down most supportive person throughout this whole process in my life, which is so funny, the people that you end up finding to be so loyal and supportive that you might not have much relationship with. And she shared her own story of sexual assault in college and something she said that has made me think a lot and I do feel really compelled to talk about it really quickly is she said coming from such a Christian and religious background, the stigma of being a victim was and still is debilitating. And I guess I never thought about some of the ridiculous comments I got from Christians and from the church that were like, you know, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The oldest passed away. Everything's become new. So like, what's your deal? Like you're in Christ. And two, just, and very well-meaning, I'm sure. I mean, I hope giving them the benefit of the doubt. But I mean, if you're listening to this and you're a Christian and you've heard some of those things, like, I am so sorry and just because you're triggered or struggling with things doesn't mean that you're not victorious in Christ. And I think that there can be a bizarre level of guilt you feel as a Christian when you are a victim of sexual assault because it is like, okay, well, why aren't I believing I'm healed? You know, if, if Christ is healer, if he is the ultimate healer, why don't I feel healed of this? So reading that made me think a lot and made me remember some of the comments I got from very well-meaning Christians that broke my heart and made me feel like I wasn't receiving help from the Lord in the way that I was supposed to, which is really sick. But she has been the greatest. I'm sure she'll be listening to this because she's still been messaging me and passing along our podcast to her friends who have been giving her feedback. And it's just been really, really special for me to get those messages from her. I love that. That's yeah, so thank awesome. You for that. Yeah, thank you so much for, you know, the sweet, sweet comment that we saw on um, iTunes and just how you've given us feedback and really encouraging us to keep pushing on. And it just really is awesome. So now we want to go over some of the symptoms of sexual abuse. And um, we want to just talk about emotional ones, physical ones, and sexual ones. So some of the symptoms obviously vary just depending on the severity of your sexual abuse. So, you know, something that may affect someone who has been affect, sexually abused by their father for many years, they're obviously going to be in way more trauma and way more of a healing process that they need to go through. They probably have a way more symptoms than someone who's been sexually abused um, in just maybe through a visual way. 
But what we do want to do is say that everybody receives, everybody does or is different. Mm -hmm. And so the way that I act towards certain symptoms or have certain symptoms, that's me. And someone else may have something totally that is them, that fits them because of their personality. So we don't want to say like, you're weak because you may have 10 of these symptoms and you may be like me who's had visual sexual abuse and you're like what is wrong with me why can't I overcome this and that's an area where I struggled with a lot because I was like I'm a strong woman why can't I just overcome certain things that have happened to me in the the realm of sexual abuse and it's like I cannot compare my story with anyone else's nor my symptoms and I have to just be really really adamant about myself and who I am and who God's called me to be and just know that my healing comes at in my timeline and I have to be okay with it give myself compassion oh yeah right for sure your trauma is your trauma and no one can tell you that what you went through wasn't traumatic or wasn't traumatic enough like 100 percent. yeah so okay I'm gonna list out a few um some of them are you know pretty obvious ones but a lot of I have a couple that aren't so obvious So we've got emotional reactions such as fear, shame, withdrawal, humiliation, guilt, self-blame, symptoms such as PTSD. Um, Survivors may experience intrusive or reoccurring thoughts of abuse as well as nightmares or flashbacks, distorted self-perception. Survivors also develop a belief that they caused the sexual abuse and that they deserved it. Um, so those are ones that when we hear we're like wow that's kind of obvious you know that this that someone who's been sexually abused would go through that but the less obvious ones would be perfectionism performance for need for achievement repeatedly feeling betrayed by others and then repeated victimization so which one did you guys feel the most my gosh well (laughs) when I did officially go through counseling and I got diagnosed with like a million things and I felt very overwhelmed I did get diagnosed with body dysmorphic disorder so that so that distorted self-perception is still something to this day that I can struggle with I'll look in the mirror and be like I've never seen an uglier person and I have to you know work on that and kind of like what is truth so that was a huge thing still something I'm struggling with to this day Uh, I'm a huge perfectionist Uh, Nicole and I were talking last night for a long time about um, performance and need for achievement and what's what's personality type and what's a symptom of sexual abuse having a great work ethic is not a symptom of sexual abuse but feeling the need to be defined by your achievements or your accomplishments you know it's taking away like that's your identity and because you're not comfortable with yourself being a victim of sexual abuse you do feel the need to compensate and to have all of these accomplishments attached to your name that's something that was really really hard for me I never got officially diagnosed with PTSD which I know Mariah will go into more Um, I have secondary PTSD from other things but a lot of anxiety a lot of depression so yeah it it is easy to feel like okay I have every single symptom of sexual abuse (laughs) emotionally and and two something that we didn't mention before but when you have major life changes some of these symptoms that you like stopped or didn't deal with before can crop up out of nowhere Mm -hmm. so when I got married Uh, and we our honeymoon was like two months and we came back and all this stuff fell through with our living situation and it just so rattled me and so jarred me and I started struggling with anxiety like never before my eating disorder came back full force and I was like what is this now being at trees of hope 
and knowing a lot of these things, it's like, okay, these radical life changes brought on like a new like wave of emotional symptoms of sexual abuse. So just because you stop struggling with them, you're not crazy if you start struggling with some of these same things again later on in your life. Yeah, I think something that we've talked about before is just finding healing and moving through some of these symptoms and being able to recognize them and then choose a healthier thing instead when they do kind of like in a, in more traumatic situations or you loss of control we're like going right back there and and instead of just understanding that's if okay this is happening and being kind we instead feel like we're failing and we should be over this by now or we should be more healed or I should be this and that and this and so um yeah it's just definitely a huge thing and for me I think in the beginning mine came just it felt like and and manifested anxiety and and fear of like failure and things like that would come out that felt separate from the abuse obviously and so any kind of thing that challenges my value or my voice or my feeling of significance will kind of send me spinning but the more I keep working through the root of that and why that's such a big deal to me the less that becomes controlling over my life but the PTSD symptoms is something I feel like I'm not in control of in the moment so um and I'm not always present, like 40% of the time, I'm not completely present. And I think when I heard that for the first time by my counselor, I'm like, what? Really? Well, that makes sense then. And so anything of any senses that will trigger me back to that place um, of trauma. And so my body and my mind literally think that I'm there again, as if it's happening again. And so I'll have all these symptoms of jumpiness and nightmares and um, again distortion of my mind and how I look at myself and feel about and my internal dialogue is really mean like really hateful and so I know I may not know what triggered me sometimes I absolutely do but most of the time I don't then I can ground myself which is basically just bringing yourself back to the present and saying it's not happening again I'm not there I'm safe um, I can have compassion on myself. I'm not dirty. I'm not shameful. It's it's not my fault. I am okay. Like, I'm okay. And so finding ways of doing that. And the biggest one for me is honestly the way I talk to myself, my internal thinking. Those are all so good. And so for me, one of the biggest uh, things I had to get over, or the one symptom that definitely kept coming out, was all probably up until I was about 34 years old which I'm 36, I kept going back and forth that I played some sort of role in my sexual abuse because in both situations, I walked into it. As in, for the one boy that sexually abused me in the bushes, I walked into the bushes. He asked me to come in there, I walked in. Um, so I felt like I was a willing participant in what had happened to me. So that's why I never wanted to speak up, tell my parents or anything, because they, I would have assumed that they would have said, well, why did you go there? Why did you do that? And I mean, my parents are loving, you know, they probably, they, I don't know what they would have said, but the reality is I didn't give them the opportunity for the, the first one. And then the second one that I experienced, I walked over to the car. So I went, I kept saying that, you know, it was me, like I shouldn't have walked over to that car because, but the things I had to keep going over in my mind is 
I've been with hanging out with plenty of kids in the play yard and none of them sexually abused me. This one was rare. And then I've walked up to many cars, given them directions. Even to this very day, I just gave someone directions the other day and nobody's masturbated to me besides that guy. So that's what's regrounding me. And that's what helps me remember. I don't need to believe that false belief. I need to believe what is true. And the truth is, is that I did nothing at all, nor did you to do anything as a role in your sexual abuse, nothing. So I could have literally been naked that morning and that boy been there and I still had done nothing. It was his fault 100%. And the fault lies on them, not lies on me. That's so good. Yeah, that's so good. And Nicole talked about her two different instances. The three of us right now, me, Mariah, and Nicole, we all have multiple instances with Mm -hmm. sexual assault and sexual abuse. And that's one of the symptoms is repeated victimization. And so if you're someone who has suffered multiple counts of sexual assault or sexual abuse, you're not a freak. You're not the problem. That's so common. It's because you have no boundaries, which is not your fault. Those boundaries were trampled over by your perpetrator. And then it kept you from being able to set up healthy boundaries to keep you from being a victim so that for me was always so embarrassing it's like how am I going to tell people I've been raped twice by the same guy in the same situation makes me look it does make me look like okay what did you do like how does that happen so and then on top of that you had a friend who said who literally said well didn't you guys have a thing we had we had made out one time before and then it was like, oh, okay, well, I mean, I guess, yeah, I did make out with him. And so, yeah, it, it just is, I know, again, talking about hurdles that we have to get over, that was huge for me that I had been sexually assaulted by the same person the exact same way twice, you know, it made me feel very responsible and really embarrassed. So you're not alone in that if you have been. Yeah. So some of the physical sexual abuse symptoms that they have, that someone may have who's been sexually abused, is that they have chronic widespread pain, that they don't have an exact origin or reason for why it's happening. They also may have um, abdominal pain or pelvic pain, and then um, eating disorders. And that's one that I'd love for Anissa to just go a little bit deeper in. Uh, Because that was something she struggled with. Definitely. I didn't struggle with the chronic or widespread pain. That was never a thing for me. But the eating disorders, I struggled a lot with anorexia. I got diagnosed my junior year of college. And it made a lot of sense when my therapist told me that this need for control came from the times in my life that I wasn't in any control. And when my body was being used without my consent, I was inebriated. I was just, there was no control in any of those situations. And so my extreme need for control was manifesting itself through my eating disorder. I was militant about when I ate, what I ate, where I ate it even. I was such a freak with food and it all tied back to my need for control and controlling my weight. If I gained one pound, I was losing my mind. And it did all make sense when my therapist told me that that was just a side effect of my sexual abuse. But I mean, I never knew. I knew I had problems, but I never tied it back to my sexual assault ever so that was news to me yeah and I've had a friend who has also kind of helped me understand where it was coming from and she said one time 
she just realized that she just wanted to feel small and take less space up. If she can take less and less space up, then she can be less and less seen and noticed and feel, um, you know, less of there, basically. Mm-hmm. And I think, too, I've actually, um, I've gotten to a place where I scared myself in the sense of this, too, because I got really obsessed with um, my health and it was all about health first and I, I got so obsessed with it that I at one point I was telling the girls the other day that I would walk into the grocery store and not even know I would just stand there frozen like I can't eat anything here and I remember eating something and I wanted to get it out of me and I remember feeling like one this kind of numb when I it, it makes me feel control and felt like well I feel better about myself I do like that I'm I don't know I just don't despise my body as much and I think that's where it came for me despising my body and now I have to just have compassion if I gain weight or if I eat something that's not healthy I have to just say you know what it's just a choice I made and I don't have to despise it um, because I know if I I can go the other way pretty quickly so yeah I mean this physical one is like the one that just sends me in a tailspin because you know I I had a very supportive dad, so that helped a lot, as in always telling me I was beautiful and all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. And I really, really love you, dad, if you're listening. Like, I'm so appreciative of that. But where I, like, listen to you guys, and it literally breaks my heart for you guys, is that you two are the most beautiful women I've ever met. Not only physically, but, like, emotionally. You guys are so beautiful. I look at you, Mariah, because I've known you a little bit longer. And when you talk bad about yourself, I literally want to... I told her, right? (laughs) I said when she walks in the room, she should literally be looking at everyone like, I own this sucker. And I am here to take over. And I feel the same way about Anissa. Like, I mean, I know you're more confident in in the way that you represent yourself. Not saying you're not confident. (laughs) But what I'm saying is, is that you guys are like amazing women and you're not only stunning beautiful women they also look alike okay but you guys are like the smartest women i know the most compassionate women i know spiritually grounded women i know so don't like look at yourself in the mirror and be like i am amazing okay (laughs) (laughs) thanks thank you no i got us crying over here yeah but i mean like if you are like nicole and have the ability to speak life like that into your friends or you know people who suffer in that way like Mm -hmm. words of affirmation is my love language so hearing things like that like means the world to me so you should do that too yeah i mean i mean i need to learn to do that better and it's only in times of where it lacks you know on my part as in a friend doesn't do that for me um is where i'm reminded that i need to start giving life to people and it's the simplest of things that could you could say to somebody like when somebody walks into an office simply saying you look beautiful today yeah i think that the the thing is is like how much we've talked about words that you say could really destroy a person or make all the difference for a person's life literally and I think what we're getting at is just when we can I mean I don't know if this is off topic but it is 
isn't because you hearing these um, symptoms of emotional and, and the things we think and you may look on but like oh my gosh that is so distorted like I don't see that but that's our reality and that's what you know may not just be ours but a lot of people out there and it's so important to, to even say like I'm so glad to be with you today mm-hmm. can mean the world to anybody and give them hope to keep living and right. I think like knowing that you know we look at each other sitting here at the table and we say how could you ever stand in the mirror and look at yourself and despise yourself because I don't feel that at all like that actually hurts my heart like Nicole said but the reality is is um, sexual abuse distorts you mentally emotionally physically sexually relationally spiritually and it's something that is a huge hurdle and can become a dark place and so surrounding yourself and being somebody that empowers and brings light to people darkness is really amazing Mm -hmm. so we're hoping as you guys hear these um not only are we hoping to help you say wow those are symptoms that means that's not just who I am. That means I can change. That's how it made me feel like, oh my gosh, that means I don't have to just define myself. This is how I accept myself. But also for people who haven't been abused, but know people have, and you, I'm sure you do, and you may not have heard it yet from them, but there are people that have, how can I understand them so that I can help them feel heard and noticed can go a long way. Thank you. All right. So the other one I want to mention is really something that I struggled a lot with, which was um, doing drugs and um, numbing myself in order to just like not feel. And it's probably the thing that I would if I was a drug addict or if I if I did drink heavily, I would probably do these things still now if I didn't have a little bit of a um, a guiding light as in, um, you know, I know that I am I what's the word I'm looking for when somebody goes too far with drugs and stuff they addictive personality yeah addictive personality yeah I know I have that in me so I know I have to refrain from you know like if I go on a plane I'll take maybe a Xanax or something but I know I can't get like a full like year-long prescription of it because it will be my my go-to to numb out and and that is a lot has to do with the thoughts that run through your mind and they sometimes become so overwhelming that you just want to numb them so that you don't think but what I noticed is that when I did do that I was so unproductive I was no earthly good like really so I don't did anybody else have drugs or alcohol yeah I think um the statistic is for what five times more likely to abuse um any kind of drugs yeah me that's my thing my unhealthy thing and I could literally tell you guys today that like okay here's a healthy thing that I would do instead of drinking and I could still the same week go and drink by myself and get drunk yeah and it's something that happens it feels like out of nowhere but it's not it is built up I really have to be on top of it and if I need a drink I don't drink. If I don't really need a drink, I allow myself to just because the more I restrict it, the worse it gets. Yeah. (laughs) So no, that's good. And, and that's, that's what I'm talking about with coming up with like a healthy way that you end up doing life where you're balanced and you can figure it out. Like for me, Mm -hmm. I agree the day that I don't need to drink, I'm like, I don't, I don't need to have a drink tonight. But if the, if I, if I desire to have a a glass of wine, I'm like, I'm going to have one, but it's a glass of wine. It's not the whole bottle. As opposed to maybe before. You guys are a lot better than me. There will be days where I'm like, I need a drink. 
and I'll go home and I'll No, we're saying it. that. We still do that. Well, or for me, I if, no, I, Mariah if, I say, if I say I need a drink, that's when I don't. Yeah. Because I know that's going to be bad. It'll that's, go too gonna, far. that's really why that should probably quick. be my new rule of thumb. But there are days where I'm like, I if I don't stop at Whole Foods and get my organic sulfate-free wine... <laughs> Okay, so now we're going to go into sexual symptoms. And I think probably this is where me and Anissa could probably go real deep into because we're married now and um, this did not pop its head up until I had gotten married. And so the symptoms that that someone who's been sexually abused could have is a lack of desire, arousal, inability to orgasm from the association between sexual activity, violation, and pain. Survivors are more, are more likely to have 50 or more intercourse partners. And, you know, that is like um, probably just a, a number that's thrown out there. The reality is, is you're just maybe a little bit more promiscuous than the average person. And then also they could be an adolescent who has teen pregnancy, prostitution, or anything like that, where basically they want to be filled with the sex sexuality in order to numb themselves to what had happened which sounds like to me whenever I heard that because I really struggled with that one when I was like well prostitutes um desire to do that but then when you look deeper into like the um psychological background of them or the mental ability like for them right now they're just doing what they didn't you know they're not doing something because they desire to do it they're doing it because they think that's what they have to do in order to survive yeah and I think too just from what I've heard in um survivors is like well at least I'm in control if exactly yeah so it's a kind of almost gaining control of your own sexuality and you end up becoming promiscuous or you become giving yourself because you don't value yourself in the sense of that and then it's not really something they want or like anyway at the end of the day. So, yeah. So for me, this one is big. You know, when I was not a Christian and I had sex before marriage and all that, I definitely was super promiscuous in the way that I thought that by giving of myself, I would cause somebody to fall in love with me or that they would have feelings for me. Um, or just that I was in control of that relationship. And looking back on it, I gave my heart away too easily, but it was also that at an early age, I learned to use my sexuality as a tool Mm -hmm. to get people to do what I wanted. So when I was sexually abused, I recognized at that moment that I was able to use that as a tool to do whatever with the boys in the neighborhood. So I ended up doing that. And then as I got older, as bosses, when I started to realize that bosses found me attractive and they were like, here, um, basically being overly perverted with me, I was like, so basically I'm in control here. So I can shoo you like a little kitten, like around, like like a ball with a kitten. kitten. I'll laugh at your dumb, gross <laughs> jokes. Yeah. And then you'll promote me. Exactly. And, you know, it's, you know, like you're definitely the one in that situation. Like, in a position of power and calling the shots because you know they're attracted to you and it's like okay I can literally snap my fingers and, and you'll, you'll do, whatever. do whatever I want yeah of course and none of this is healthy it's this not is okay just what it's it just the reality was. yeah 
So now that I'm married, um, and some of that is way behind me, I haven't had a boss do that to me in years. I've also gone through healing, knowing what my boundaries are with people, making it really clear this is an unsafe person, therefore they don't get the right to talk to me that way. And I get to put my foot down way faster and say, when somebody says something to me inappropriate, hey, that made me feel really inappropriate, and you better check yourself before you speak to me like that again. And if I lose my job, I lose my job. But in addition to that, I have found that you know, that hasn't happened in a really long time, but that now that I'm married, um, one, I struggle with being intimate. And I've shared this on the podcast before that, you know, that's the one relationship you should be the most intimate with. I can sit down with Raph and talk about the most, the wells of my heart. (laughs) And then I, and then he'll be like, okay, let's go like get intimate and have sex. And then I'm like, okay, I'm done. Like I've already, (laughs) I've already, been successful today like this is my my love tank is full and he's like my love tank needs to be full now and I'm like okay no he's like my love tank needs to be (laughs) emptied (laughs) yeah basically so um you know I definitely struggle and the one thing that's helped me uh get through that is is marrying being married to a very patient person and to somebody who I'm able to say that you know, after a long day of talking about sexual abuse, like podcast day and recording day for our online um, groups, that's just the no sex days. Prevention workshops. Yeah, oh my gosh. just we just don't do it, <clears throat> like literally. And then, you know, and, and then f- it's a free for all any day after. <laughs> we can really just, you know, roam the land. So what about you, Anissa? Now, along with Nicole, uh, everything she shared about her workplaces, that is super super unfortunate but also I can totally commiserate because I didn't have proper boundaries set up my bosses or overseers would say things that were just really out of line and my go-to defense mechanism was to laugh yeah and to just play it off and (laughs) okay and like probably self like subconsciously hoping that that would just cut the conversation short but definitely like in hindsight I look back at certain situations and I think man if that happened today I would I don't know deck them call the police I would be this is so unacceptable so I definitely understand where you're coming from with that as far as intimacy with my husband I too have been blessed with probably the most patient person on the face of this planet he is always seeking to understand where I'm coming from and there's been different times where we are starting to get intimate and something will happen that just it does trigger me and I know that word is so overused but it just brings me back to a place of feeling like I'm not in control to be very honest there are certain positions that like don't work for me emotionally I can't I can't because it brings me back to times that I was assaulted and so and he understands and he gets it and he never pushes and that's a a great way to know if you're with the right person or not is them never ever testing your boundaries emotionally spiritually mentally and then when you are in the context of marriage physically my husband david would never ever ask me to do anything that put me back in a place of feeling like a victim Mm. ever so there have been certain things that are just off limits and it doesn't bother him and it doesn't take away from how beautiful our sex life is and how blessed it is there's there's nothing lacking just because we can't do a few things that would set me way back it doesn't bother him 
So it definitely is something that even when you do go through so much healing and you are, you know, I don't want to use the words past it because I think that when you have been a victim of sexual abuse, it definitely changes the entire demographic of your life. And, you know, like I, I think that that's just the reality, but David would never, you know, push me. I think, um, just the thing that we could go really deep in the how it affects you sexually obviously because that's the violation where it started and honestly the sad thing is it has made sex dirty and shameful and gross and being naked to me is something that feels shameful and almost wrong and the reality is it it doesn't have to be and it's supposed to be a beautiful thing that is um, able to join two people in vulnerability and safety. And so that has completely been wrecked in us. And for me, I have so much fear of um, being in a relationship and then getting married and having to um, really kind of give myself over and that vulnerability sounds very scary. And I don't like that someone else could have control of what I feel and my body responding because, you know, the thing with sexual abuse is, just because you didn't want it, you feel violated and, and it was disgusting. But as a child and any any experience you may have had, your body may have responded to the stimulation that your body resp- responds to whether you want it or not. And so the idea that that would even happen, I think would bring me back there. And I kind of went through like um, frigidity, obviously, and like wearing baggy clothes I didn't want my body to show I didn't want people to look at me sexually or scale me or look at me up and down it just grossed me out so I think you know learning that I'm not in control of that unfortunately and I need to get to a place where I'm comfortable with myself and I can wear clothes that make me feel comfortable but I don't also have to hide anymore so yeah and and I think also from happening at an early age it distorts you it, it distorts your sexual per, uh, perception and it perverts it. So I grew up with very perverted mind and like perversion sexually and, um, and just being exposed to pornography and things like that. Like it just made me feel like a dirty, gross person. <laughs> and like, so coming through to terms with purifying that is, is going to be a journey for sure. Yeah, so something that we had said earlier was there could be a lack of desire, arousal, and inability to orgasm, but I know kind of along that same vein, a lot of victims of sexual abuse or some victims of sexual abuse experienced pleasure during the assault or during the abuse, and so I know that that can be very confusing. I personally didn't experience any like pleasurable stimulation. I never orgasmed from any of the things that happened to me, but the people that I have talked to who have kind of touched on like what was really hard for me was that it felt good and so that was so confusing the clashing of like this is so awful I don't want this this is terrible but also it physiologically like there's that response and that your body is naturally responding to it's doing what it's supposed to do it's responding to stimulation but I know that that can be really really hard for people when it comes to sexuality and the way that it taints their perspective of the abuse that they suffered Right. Well, and I think, too, that's what ends up adding a lot of times to the shame that is experienced from sexual abuse, because when someone says, well, why in the world 
when, when I was assaulted or when, um, a molestation happened to me, why did I experience some sort of pleasure in that? I must have liked it. I must have wanted it. And so then it gets very confusing. And the reality is not that you liked it or wanted this, um, or this is something that you deserved. It was the fact that your body was made to be able to experience pleasure. So it was a natural reaction, um, to having, um, certain parts of your body stimulated. And again, just like Anissa said, that's not for, that isn't exactly the story for everyone, but for anyone where that is what happened to them, that they were somehow stimulated, um, by this, again, your body was made to react in those ways. Um, but that is what ends up sometimes adding to the shame of sexual abuse. Right. And I mean, like we keep talking about in the context of a marriage and a safe, loving relationship, these are the things that are meant to happen, like having an orgasm, being pleasured, all those things. And, but your body's still going to do those same things in the, in in an awful context, yeah, in a different context. So, you know, I, I, it is a huge hurdle for people to get over. And, and, um, if that is your story, if that's a part of your story, we just hope that you find hope in knowing that you know you it feels like your body betrayed you but it it didn't and you just have to tell yourself that that if you are married that you that's the place that you're supposed to enjoy that type of pleasure and um it's really it's really sad because like our husbands get the, the the icky part of all of this like they don't get to you know they get the brunt of it and that stinks um and another thing i want to just talk about really quick since we're talking about sex is um I've had a a friend lately or recently tell me a story about, you know, some kind of weird things that Christians or married Christians will say to them. Um, It's basically like, you know, you should just, when you're married, you should just, you know, give yourself to your husband. That's something you need to do on a regular basis, even, even if you don't want to. And in my opinion, I think that's false theology because it's taken out of context and it's used as um, as a way to tell a woman that she needs to basically just give her body when she doesn't want to, which in my opinion is marital sexual abuse. And I, and I hate going like so firm on that, but it's the reality. Um, so in that proper context, that those verses that that this person was saying was used out of context but they were meant to use to re um set a marriage to not withhold sex from a marriage in order to hurt or or to um control the relationship and so you know if you're someone out there that feels like well you're a christian you should just do things sexually that you don't want to do I would definitely say to you, have that conversation with your husband and make sure it's really clear what is acceptable and unacceptable. But if you're using sex as a form to manipulate and control your own marriage, you might want to look into why are you doing that and and don't try to use Bible verses to support your warped thinking. Well, and I think too, um, because there can be so much conflict like mentally, um, because of sexual abuse and what has happened and the confusing messages that were received due to that, due to what has happened. Um, I really encourage, um, people to, to talk to the Lord about that. In other words, if you don't feel, um, that sexual desire for your husband, or, um, you are having a hard time with that, go to the Lord first and foremost and talk to him about it because that's the thing we have a God who understands. 
right. and who ask us to come to him. And the other part of it is too, obviously we're, you know, um, there's so many resources too, Nicole, that I just, I thought, think that we should remind people on the Trees of Hope website um, too, as far as um, things that they can read, resources, even counseling referrals, that kind of thing, to talk through these things more. These are hard concepts, and these can be really complicated, and everyone is different in how they've responded to having experiencing sexual abuse, um, telling their story, going through the healing process. It can be different for everyone, and we, and we get that. And so, um, we just encourage you though, to reach out. If you feel alone, you're not, you don't have to stay alone Mm -hmm. in this whole thing, which is so much of what Nicole and Mariah and Anissa have said this whole time. Their heart is to make sure that you know that you're not alone in this. Right now we want to talk about codependency and, uh, the role that codependency can play. So, but Kristen has some great feedback on this one. Yeah, sometimes too, we end up seeing one of the after effects of sexual abuse or assault being codependent relationships. Um, one of the reasons for this is just really a, a lack of um, self-assurance and self-confidence. And so you end up getting into a dynamic with other people that it's almost like an over-identification with someone else that you don't feel enough within yourself, probably because, again, what's happened. And so you're looking to other people to provide an identity. You're looking over... looking to other people also to help with um, telling you that you're okay. You know, so it's almost like if, if you're not okay, I'm not okay. So it's just over-reliance. It's, it's unbalanced and um, dysfunctional, and, but it does happen, and it, but it can be healed. You can learn to not be codependent anymore. You can learn to stand on your own, um, and you can learn to be confident. And for some people, you may be saying, you know, that's who I was before this all happened. You can get back there. That's the thing. You does this doesn't mean that you're you're doomed to just be in codependent relationships and be a codependent person, um, you know, following what's happened. But you do need healing. Yeah, I think that was a huge hurdle for me to get through, just because I didn't realize what codependency was. I didn't even know what it was until going through a support group and um, seeing these behaviors. I'm like, oh, that's me. And for me, it's like taking responsibility for everything. Like I take responsible for other people's lives. And if it's my responsible to make sure they're okay. And, and the way they respond is because I'm responsible for that and, or I'm responsible to rescue them or I need someone, you know, to do that for me instead of standing my ground and telling people what I need. Instead, I just want people to rescue me and do it for me without having to tell them and, you know, and the list goes on. So I think that um, just recognizing that this is a, it can be a tendency. It's, It's really empowering when you let go of all this responsibility and you really can enjoy the people around you and find who you are instead of and being your own person so okay so really funny Mariah said that she had never heard about what codependency really was and so I when I first heard of codependency I was like that sounds really sad whatever that is (laughs) like being codependent Um, I'm just going to read a few of the symptoms of codependency or ways to know if you are a codependent Um, obviously do more research yourself but these are really helpful and even just hearing like a few of these I was like wow I have such a codependent heart so as a codependent you assume responsibility for others feelings and behaviors feel guilty about others feelings and behaviors have difficulty identifying what you are feeling have difficulty expressing feelings are afraid of your own anger yet sometimes erupt in rage 
worry about how others may respond to your feelings, opinions, and behavior, have difficulty making decisions, are afraid of being hurt and or rejected by others, minimize, alter, or deny how you truly feel, are very sensitive to how others are feeling and feel the same, are afraid to express differing opinions or feelings, value others' opinions and feelings more than your own, put other people's needs and desires before your own, embarrassed to receive recognition and praise or gifts, judge everything you think, say, or do harshly as never good enough, are perfectionist, are extremely loyal, remaining in harmful situations too long, do not ask others to meet your needs or desires, do not perceive yourself as lovable and worthwhile, and compromise your own values and integrity to avoid rejection or others' anger. So I had pretty much all of those, and I was like, oh, <laughs> I'm definitely a codependent, which was a whole other thing. We could probably do an entire episode on codependency, but that's just very briefly touching on some of the things that you might have as a codependent. It's a thorough description. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You covered it, Nisa. That's good. Yeah. Thank you. So yeah, we've covered all of the symptoms of sexual abuse, and this one was a long one because obviously we had a, a multiple facets of this that we needed to go over. And then um, last, we just want to say that if you like this podcast, if you like this episode, can you share it with your friends or let people know about it? And um, if you thought any of this content was good, please give us five stars um, and uh, write anything that would be encouraging to us. Because like I said, we love hearing this type of information if it's if it's touched your heart, if it's provided you with some hope. So we love you guys, and we just want to remind you that if you're listening and you say to yourself, I'm not ready to do any of that, what they're talking about, I'm not ready to look at my symptoms, I'm not ready to go through any type of healing, I'm not ready to even share my story with anyone, we would say that's fine. We just want you to keep coming back. So just keep coming back. We love you. We'll see you next week. Bye. 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 Bye.